Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, November 15th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me on his podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Uh, not much, actually. Like It seems like last week we were inundated by Disney Plus Day. There was like mm-hmm. so many things from that, and it, it seems like most of Hollywood like was like, you know, we're not going to announce anything. We're not going to there's we're going to take some slow news days, uh, but we do have a couple interesting. So th- this podcast might be a little shorter than normal, but we do have some interesting stuff to talk about. It's just fewer more <laughs> quality over quantity. Ben is what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. OK, uh, let's start with uh, something that just broke and you just wrote up for the site. This is the an update on the whole IATSE situation. We've been following this with uh you know they they were threatening to go on strike against hollywood this this union that, that could have caused hollywood to shut down and now we we have an answer to what what is happening yes so iatsi has officially voted to basically agree to the contract with the studios so the strike is not going to happen uh, at least for the next three years it looks like um, so that's good news the bad news though is that the deal that has actually been signed is not quite as um let's say progressive as it as it could be like basically they were all trying to the the entire sort of impetus for this whole thing was the union members were trying to fight for uh, working conditions that were a little bit more fair um one of those things in particular was like the idea of um of turnaround time like after they were trying to to get a mandate in place to have a minimum amount of rest that you could have after a day's work. So you don't work a super long day and then have to sometimes drive far away from the set where you are and then crash at a hotel or a, you know, whatever place you're staying at and then immediately get up super early in the morning and go back to, to work and do it all over again. They're trying to implement, um, you know, time for people to be able to do their best work. And then it's obviously a, a safety concern as well. So um, one of the things that actually came through in this contract that was just signed is a 10 hour rest minimum. Um, but for a lot of people in IATSE already, 
they're not thrilled with that because a lot of productions, film and TV productions already had 10 hour rest minimums in place. And that issue is still something that they were you know, pushing for to try to get more, um, you know, more safety protocols in place to, to help out with that situation. So um, that's one area where this feels a little bit, it's, it's a, it's a small victory is what it is. And the, the biggest problem with this whole situation is that because of all the publicity that IATSE has generated over the past few weeks, it seems like everybody was on their side, right? They had this huge wave of public support. And this was arguably their biggest opportunity to really implement like generation defining measures to better protect its workers and, and secure better benefits for them. But instead, it sort of sounds like they passed the bare minimum and uh, the voting, you know, when you get down into the nitty gritty of the numbers, it's like the the membership of IATSE is split pretty much down the middle in terms of people who wanted to agree to this new deal and people who didn't because the people who didn't obviously wanted to fight for something better. So, uh, yeah, it's a it's a complicated situation. It's a I would call it yeah just a small victory, but um, I'm guessing a lot of people are going to be really you know disappointed with this, even though. Um, on, maybe on paper, it, it looks better than it is, but I think there's, it's it's one of those things where the potential here was so much bigger than what ultimately ended up happening. So, is this the definitive conclusion, or could this go on further? I mean, as I'm, as far as I know, this is the definitive conclusion um, because the votes have been cast, and you know, there's a whole thing about that where uh, that I wrote in my piece where it's like the votes were cast through sort of an electoral college system, so the popular vote was slightly different than you know, it being splintered off into this whole electoral college thing. But it seems like, you know, it's gone through the full process as far as I actually can take it. And a deal was done and and voted on. And like that, you know, that is the democratic process at work, even though, uh, you know, it, it didn't result in, in the sort of uh, deep seated changes that half of its membership was hoping for. So basically, what you're telling me, Ben, is Great for for IATSE, but also sucks for for IATSE. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's move on to some more, uh, I guess, entertaining news, and this revolves around a new Netflix sitcom. I, I think I talked on a past water cooler about there's this documentary on Netflix called The Last Blockbuster. Have you seen that, Ben? I have not. No. Uh, it. it, it is a documentary about well the last blockbuster. It's just uh, the last of this chain. It's the last store. It's in this small town in Bend, Oregon. And I wouldn't even say it's a great documentary, but it's worth seeing. Um, it, it because I, I think what is more interesting about this documentary, it, it, they play up the nostalgia of you know us growing up and going to Blockbuster and what that meant. Uh, and that part of it I think is less interesting than this being like this small town that is kind of like a, a dying a dying town and there's like this you know <laughs> the, the last mainstay of the video rental business is, is still in this town employing like all the you know the kids in this dying town and the the person that's running it is kind of like they're uh kind of like a surrogate mother figure of sorts and uh, it's all sorts of interesting issues like they're still running on the the blockbuster computer system to rent out all this stuff so like they need to find computers as the computers are breaking down they have to <laughs> mm-hmm. find like these 1990 computers like uh, <laughs> yeah parts and stuff like that it's it, it's so funny so anyways uh 
this is all to say that I guess that documentary did well enough, uh, and maybe someone saw that there was an interesting story here that they're actually going to be making a sitcom based on the last blockbuster, and it's going to be starring Randall Park, who I best I. I I know the best from like Marvel Cinematic Universe, like Ant-Man and the Wasp and uh, WandaVision, but I know he was also um, on Fresh Off the Boat and Always Be My Maybe. Um, And this series is going to come from Vanessa Ramos, who did uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Crashing, and Superstore, which I know a lot of people love. So now that you hear Superstore and you hear the last blockbuster, you can totally understand where this is, what this is going to be. And I think this like has the potential to be something really great. It's going to be a 10 half hour episodes. Uh, no additional casting has been announced, but um, I don't know. I, I'm actually, as someone who is not a fan of sitcoms, this sounds like it would be totally my jam, uh, especially as someone who always wanted to work in a video rental store. Uh, Ben, is this something you would give a chance? You know, uh, the people involved with this, I really like Randall Park and Vanessa Ramos. She has some impressive credits and especially like the Brooklyn Nine-Nine of it all. I I love, um, I'm not a huge sitcom guy, but but the Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Rec and like Mike Schur level sitcoms are the ones that I really latch onto and and really end up loving. So maybe uh, this might be one of the the few that I'll actually give a shot. The weirdest thing about this to me, Peter, is like a the concept of a Netflix sitcom. And I know there have been you know several before, <laughs> um, so this is a bit of a tangent. Yeah. But just like the idea of dropping an entire season of a sitcom um, is sort of like uh, it feels antithetical to what a sitcom is, which is just like a little thing that you can tune into once a week, and like you know the story just. Uh, is very circular and ends the way it began and, and, you know, returns to the status quo and all of that. And, and it sort of just feels like a, like a a format that should be, um, you know, stuck on a network model instead of on something like Netflix, where it just feels like a, you know, it it just feels like Netflix is not the place for for a sitcom to drop all the episodes at once. It's really weird to me, but yeah. No, I, I I totally see that. I, I'm actually kind of wondering a different approach here, or, or I wanted to bring up a different question. I, I should say is you know it seems like everybody seems to be obsessed with this blockbuster store. You know, people travel there. It's like a big tourist def- destination. You can actually buy your own like blockbuster rental card there. So pe- that's like one of the highest selling things they have at that store. Um, and if you go, I'm not sure if you've seen this at Target, there's like a blockbuster uh, board or card game or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's like puzzles. There's a, there's t-shirts. There's like, I don't know. Blockbuster seems like, you know, it's people that grew up in the 90s and 2000s uh, with blockbusters being a big thing uh, seem to really love that brand. And it makes me wonder, do you think there's any potential of blockbuster video making some sort of comeback in any form whatsoever? <laughs> Well, Peter, if MoviePass can make a comeback, then I think Blockbuster <laughs> could make a comeback, right? Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I don't think Blockbuster crashed and burned quite as hard as MoviePass did, or at least not in, in uh, you know, in as uh, controversial a fashion. I think it was just sort of like bled out by Netflix and some of the other competitors. But um, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, Hollywood loves IP, Peter. So uh, maybe somebody <laughs> will scoop up the Blockbuster IP and um, and actually, yeah, turn that into a, a somehow a thriving company again. I have no idea what the business model would be for such a thing. But uh, yeah, I would never say never. Yeah, that's, that's the question I have is like, what could you turn Blockbuster into? Because I don't think the retail business is something you want to get into these days. Although mm-hmm. AMC is launching their own 
like chain of popcorn stores or something like that. I don't oh, know. Wow. That, I didn't hear about yeah, that. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds crazy to me. Um, but in like maybe an online streaming service, but like, you know, that's already a crowded uh, scenario. So I'm not, I'm not sure how that would work. Maybe a movie theater chain, blockbuster video movie. I don't know. Huh. Yeah, probably all dying businesses. Probably nothing you want to get involved with. But uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see what the history, uh, what the future is with blockbuster video. If anything actually ends up happening with it, but it de- definitely what is happening is Netflix sitcom, and uh, we'll keep you updated on that. Uh, but let's uh, let's move on to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Doctor Strange Two, which I think uh, a couple months ago we learned was. Uh, the release date was pushed back and now we we have a better idea of why that is yeah there are some big reshoots that are in dr strange 2's future so dr strange in the multiverse at madness uh multiverse multiverse of madness geez what a title um is about to undergo quote significant reshoots and additional photography in los angeles i think it's going to last for at, at least six weeks uh if not more working six days a week for the the crew there um, Sam Raimi, the the director, and Michael Waldron, the writer, are still on board. So uh, this is not an instance like um, you know Rogue One, a Star Wars story, where these reshoots were or those movie that movie's reshoots were overseen by somebody else entirely, and Gareth Edwards was sort of like on the sidelines for those. Um, but uh, we know that Benedict Cumberbatch is going to be involved in the reshoots. But yeah, that's a sort of a big stretch. I mean, like. You know, we've talked on this podcast a, a bunch in the past about how reshoots used to be seen as like uh, a really a dirty word in Hollywood and sort of a surefire sign that a production was in major trouble. But Marvel and Lucasfilm have sort of um, altered that perception, I think, for for people who care about movies because they've incorporated time into the schedules from the beginning for reshoots and additional photography to sort of help fix problems uh, when they come up. But I think that's usually thing, like a week or two. Right. Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking, too. I don't know if anybody's ever done like a, an actual study of like what the, you know, what the uh, <laughs> average time is of, of those reshoots. But that's what I was thinking. I, I sort of feel like I hear, you know, oh, yeah, two weeks here, two weeks there kind of thing for reshoots. But yeah, this is um, this is, seems like pretty significant uh, uh, reworking that needs to happen to uh, get this movie in a better place. So um you know, who knows when all is said and done, it could be perfect. You could never notice that, that, uh, there would be anything wrong, you know, when you're watching the final product, um, Marvel is typically pretty good about, uh, much better than star Wars anyway, recently, uh, then, you know, to, to sort of like quote unquote, fix its problems and, and present something that feels cohesive uh, upon first viewing. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, I guess it's notable that, um, that, a big Marvel project like this seems to be uh, in in trouble to some degree. Yeah. I mean, the one thing that Marvel has is they have the money. You know, mm-hmm. every one of these movies makes money and there, there's a way to fix almost any movie. I, I shouldn't say almost any movie. There's way, a way to fix a lot of movies. Usually they don't have the money and the time to do so. The, the thing that Marvel and Disney has is they have, they have the money and the time. So, um, so I don't know. I, I wouldn't look at this as a bad thing. Uh, I'm just curious what wasn't working. What you know? When I hear this, like when I go into a movie like Rogue One, then I end up doing like the, uh, you know, the analysis where I go back to the trailers and I'm like, mm-hmm. what shots weren't in the movie? You know, what what is you know? It's almost like when I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking like, you know, what is the reshoot and what's the? It's, it's probably insane of me. 
But, yeah, uh, no, no, no. I do the exact same thing. I think the good news is that we haven't seen any real footage yeah. from Doctor Strange 2 yet. So I think for a lot of people that this will just be, you know, maybe a little bit of a hiccup in the in the process and not really something that they think about in that final product. You know, it, I think it's worth noting that one of uh, the Hollywood Reporter's sources said that part of this was to try to make up for time that was lost due to COVID related shutdowns when the movie was shooting in the UK. So it could just be as simple as, you know, COVID having more of a, an impact on the production than they thought. But um, at this point, I think productions most, uh, you know, especially Marvel has already filmed some stuff during the pandemic and they, they should, you know, have it down to a science, I, I would think at this point. So um, maybe that that's part of it. Maybe not. I, I don't really know. You know what? IMDb should have a section on each movie, like where it has like what was reshot. Like, I think that would be a very interesting and probably too 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 much for anybody to actually uh, <laughs> collaborate and put together. But I, I would be interested. Anyways, yeah. uh, let's let's move on. Let's talk about Harry Potter. Um, Christopher Columbus has recently been doing press, and he's been talking a lot about Harry Potter. He you know talked about how he left the franchise after becoming exhausted after the first two films. And uh, someone asked him, he even said like he wants to put out his director's cut of, of the, the original film, which I think is like three hours long or something insane like that. So yeah, uh, maybe that will happen if if fans (laughs) get together and demand it, which I didn't think there would be that much more footage because I thought like the DVDs and Blu-rays already had like a bunch of, like the extra footage and stuff. But anyways, um, uh, Christopher Columbus was asked about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which is the play that made its debut in uh, London, is uh, now in Broadway, and is, is I think it's going to be traveling soon or is traveling. Um, it, this is a two-part uh, play, which I, I saw in, in the Broadway production. Um, I didn't see it in London's West End. And... Um, he was asked if he would be interested in doing a movie adaptation of this. And his answer was, quote, a version of Cursed Child with Dan, Rupert, and Emma at the right age. It's cinematic bliss. If you're a film nerd or cinephile, it's like what J.J. did with Star Wars. Star Wars really started to be great again when J.J. made the film. And we all had the original cast back. There's no question if you're a Star Wars fan, you have moved. You were. Mo- it's funny when he's saying this. I'm like, does he have any clue what the reaction were to the sequel? To- <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyways, he goes on to talk about Star Wars, and he said it, it was very, very moving. I think it would be the same situation with Harry Potter fans to be able to see these adult actors back in those roles. Oh yeah, it would be amazing to make that film or two films. So I, I guess the question I have here, Ben, well, I think a Cursed Child movie is, or movies is going to happen eventually. There, there's no question about it. Like, like there's a fandom there. Warner Brothers doesn't seem to be able to get and, and make it, the Fantastic Beast franchise is not really doing as well as they had hoped. And I think this would be box office goals. Um, so the question is, should Christopher Columbus return to make though that movie or movies Ben. i mean christopher columbus seems like a really nice guy uh <laughs> i'm looking at his filmography and it's a really weird filmography peter um yeah 
I mean, you know, you've got Home Alone in there. You've got Mrs. Doubtfire in there. Those are like and Home Alone too. Those are like all bona fide classics, I would say. And he wrote Gremlins, right? I think, I think that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then you've got things like Pixels and The Christmas Chronicles <laughs> Part Two and I Love You, Beth Cooper, uh, and uh, you know, <laughs> I just I don't I don't. The answer is no. I don't think Chris Columbus should come back. Um, you know, as somebody who's not like a huge fan of the Harry Potter movies. I, I'm not a fan of those first two films. I think the casting is is great. And I would definitely like, I, I tip my hat to him in terms of picking the casting that would, you know, that would go on to sort of like help define a generation of people who, who love that franchise so, so much. Yeah. Uh, I'm not trying to discount his work in the casting front, but um, those movies, if you compare the first two to, you know, the third and fourth movie or something, even I know that the characters age and they get a little bit more, serious as they grow up and, and go through darker adventures or whatever, but like the the tone and the look and everything of those movies changes so dramatically after Columbus left that um, for him to come back into it just seems like a really, really strange uh, choice. I, I don't think I would be into it, but I wonder if there are enough Harry Potter fans who like really have such a, a fondness for those first two movies that they would be interested to see. You know, it would certainly be like a cool full circle moment for him uh, coming back with that original cast. Yeah, I got to reiterate what you said. The first two movies are not the best movies in that franchise. But he also was dealing with very young actors in those films. And uh, so you got to give him credit there that like, he's trying to make it work with these really young kids. And when when you get to Alfonso Cuaron, he has uh, older, older kids to work with. Um, but I think like just looking at them, you can see like you can see the filmmaking of the first two movies. Like it, it, it you can see the cuts. You can see, it, you know, you, it like it doesn't in, envelop me into it as much as like Prisoner of Azkaban or even the David Yates movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to see like someone of the stature of uh, Alfonso come and direct. Uh, yeah, I guess two. You, you'd probably need two movies to do do this right um but i don't know if someone like alfonso has has any interest (laughs) yeah i'm trying to remember the names of uh what are they the daniels uh (laughs) they're the guys who directed swiss army man they directed uh daniel radcliffe in that movie i I mean there is no er, there is no way in uh, absolutely (laughs) never would that happen um because if you've seen swiss army man that movie is just like straight up insane uh in the best way i really love that film but um i would just love to see them re-team with uh with daniel radcliffe and just bring that sort of like manic uh high level energy to that story but i also haven't even seen cursed child on stage so uh i can't i guess you might have you might be in a better position here knowing what that story is and sort of like what the visuals might be to be able to pick out a filmmaker that it is um, darker I will say that it does get hmm. go to some dark places, so maybe. But yeah, I don't. I'm not, I don't think Warner Brothers would. No, <laughs> never. But I, I would love that. Like just, just you know, straight dream, uh, dream yeah. director casting or whatever. That those that's who I would pick. But yeah, no. we, we we know what would happen. David Yates. David Yates would yeah. be hired, and he's the guy that's been doing all. Did he do the Fantastic Beast movies? I think, I think he so. Did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing, Peter, like real quick before we end, you know, you mentioned the Fantastic Beast thing. Like, do you think Warner Brothers is going to make a Cursed Child movie while the Fantastic Beasts franchise is still technically happening? Because 
you know, J.K. Rowling has such control over those movies. Mm. She's writing the scripts for all of them, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I, I wonder if they have some sort of deal in place where they have to complete the, you know, the Fantastic Beasts saga <laughs> or whatever before they are allowed to do other things. I also wonder if she has to, if she still will have the power to sign off on the idea of making a Cursed Child movie. And I don't know if she would be into that. I, I don't know. There's a lot of questions there. Yeah, I'm not sure if I have any answers to any of those questions, Ben. But um, <laughs> yeah, well, we, I, I'm sure this is not the last we're going to hear of the Cursed Child movie. Uh, you can read more of all the articles we talked about on today's podcast on SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, write us a couple words, tell your friends, spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.